0: Are you ready for this? Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm Corey. I'm Logan. And we are here to go on the journey of life and leadership growth with you. Welcome to the Principles Podcast. Welcome back to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm excited about our guest today. I'm excited to get to know him a little bit more. We've got a mutual friend that talked him up really really good. So the expectations are high Bill no. I'm like, uh, oh, this, could,
1: this could be bad, this could go terribly wrong.
0: No, it's going to be great. It's going to be good. I, I I trust Drew, but he spoke very highly of you. More importantly, I think he was making a transition in his career and life, and you really, really made an impact on him, helped him in that situation, and uh, getting to know you, that's, that's one of the key things you work on, and you can tell us a little bit about that, and uh, we were talking a little bit before, too, Uh, small world thing. Uh, We're doing Transformation Tupelo, where you're also part of Transformation Longview. So I'm excited to get to know about that, too. But before we go much further, Bill, uh, welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan.
1: Well, it's great to be here. And uh, hey, Drew, if you're listening, the check's in the mail, buddy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I always appreciate the recommendation. Uh, Yeah, I'm just really thrilled to be here today. It's good. I love talking about leadership and change and uh, change management from the people side of change and all of those things are things I, I love having conversations with and certainly Drew and I had many of those conversations over a cup of coffee uh, and uh, yeah it, it was good and I'm, I'm happy to hear that I was helpful <laughs>
0: yeah yeah he's doing good now it was a great transition for him so yeah. Well, uh, Bill, we're excited to have you. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about you, about your background, kind of uh, what you got going on in life right now as well?
1: Sure. Well, I spent uh, 35 years uh, in full-time uh, vocational Christian ministry, so I was a pastor for a little over 35 years. We, uh, I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. That's where I was raised, and so is my wife. We married very young. We got married in 1980. I was 19, she was 18, uh, but I was already on my path of where I felt I was going to steer and move towards as far as vocation. And um, from there, I mean, it's 41 years later uh, and we're still together. Yay, (laughs) a lot of credit to her for that, by the way. And we've moved around some. We've been in different locations. We pastored in East Texas, where I'm presently located for a number of years, then in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And we spent about a five-year period up in Northwest Arkansas, the Bentonville area, where home of Walmart, you know, that's their corporate headquarters, J.B. Hunt's there, Tyson Foods. So it's kind of this strange little niche up in the Northwest corner of Arkansas that uh, feels feels much more like uh, one of the bedroom communities around Dallas-Fort Worth. So it's a, it's a very interesting demographic uh, and then we moved back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, we were going through a transition of our own. I mentioned to you earlier that uh, I don't refer to myself as an expert on transition but I am experienced. So uh, I, we were in that transition. I wanted to write. I wanted to do some writing. Didn't feel I would have the time or the energy to do that uh, while full-time pastoring a church. So that was a transitional season. We moved to the Metroplex, uh, again. And then I, I did, I wrote three books in three years and, which is if people who know me just gasp when I tell them that, because I have severe attention issues. So, um, the fact that I was able to pull that off is a, not, not a minor miracle to me, kind of a big one. Uh, now they're not novels. I didn't write war and peace. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> I just, but, uh, I was able to do one of the last book that I wrote was called Thriving in Transition, Lessons from the Wilderness. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a faith-based book that I wrote, uh, where the apostle Paul said, Hey, everything that happened to the children of Israel in that Exodus was written down for us so that we can learn and not repeat those mistakes. And so being a huge proponent of what I call vicarious learning, Uh, I wrote the book from that perspective. So I draw some things from that whole Exodus experience that we can learn from them about being in transition that we don't have to learn the hard way. So that was the last book that I I wrote. Uh, And I still, I've I've greatly expanded upon what the content of that book is uh, at, at its current state. So I'll be kind of diving back into that. And I had given a copy of it to my wife's boss. She works for a global telecommunications company. She's an EA for a vice president. And I'd given a copy. He read it, said, I I wish I could give this to every person in this company, but I can't. It's a a faith-based book. Our company policy won't allow it. And that's when the wheels started turning. And I thought people need to hear this stuff. I'm going to have to find a format where I can share these principles uh, much, of course, the greatest example of all that is John Maxwell, right? So, but where I can share these principles about how you can actually thrive in transition, not just survive them, uh, and find a way to do it in a, fa- in a way that could be offered and in a medium that could be received in corporate America, as well as the faith-based community. So, having said all of that, um, I'm, I serve as an elder in our church here, I'm a part of Transformation Longview. I have a company called the Strongbridge Group. Uh, that's my company that I operate out of. I do executive coaching uh, and leadership coaching and transition coaching, uh, as well as with uh, individuals helping them make these transitions, much like I was had, had the opportunity with Drew Jackson just helping him navigate, uh, but also through organizations who are facing some sort of change or they know they need to change maybe even helping them understand what some of the basic principles are that, that I consider basic, but I'm amazed at how few people, one, know them, or two, practice them on any level, even within corporate America, even though change management's huge right now in, in the marketplace, huge. It's, it's a constant topic, but it's all about the process side of change. So it really benefits project managers. You got Six Sigma, all that stuff. But none of it focuses on the key component to really getting a change to work. And that's the people you're asking to change, right? So uh, that's a little bit of the dynamic that I bring there. And so, um, anyway, that's kind of a, I don't know. I'm sure there's many things I just forgot to say, but that I feel (laughs) like I've talked for a really long time and I'm gonna pause and take a sip of coffee.
2: Um, Bill, I, I work with a hotel management company and then own some small businesses as, as well. Um, and have been a part of a company that's grown from eight hotels to 25 over the course of about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, the asset value, the, the size of the hotels and the employee count have, have grown disproportionately faster than the number of hotels. So the, the, in terms of asset value, it's gone five X, not, not three X. Um, it <clears throat> have been a part of a lot of growing pains. But through that, I got my hands on a lot of acquisitions. Uh, so I've done about eight or 10 full, like I was the acquisitions and transitions team. We didn't have an HR director, an accounting director, an operations director that went in <clears throat> to onboard these properties. It was me for the first few and then a couple of people on my team After that, so I've gotten to see a lot of change and a lot of, hey, we're buying this hotel, and then the looks on people's faces, and then the one to say, hey, I've been with the company X amount of years. Um, Here's how I met the CEO. Here's my experience. Here's the opportunity, all those things. Um, So I'd love to see in your experience what you've seen as we've seen some really Great things happened through that. And then we've also seen some people that just could not handle the change and it was crash and burn really fast, especially yeah. the leader of each individual hotel. I've seen people that just couldn't make it through that change. And six weeks later, they were just, I'm out. I don't want this. And then there are people that have been general managers of that hotel. Now they're regional directors with us. They've been with the company, preserved their team five years later. What traits have you seen in people that successfully navigate change and, and maybe even see it as an opportunity and come out the other side much better?
1: Well, I think the, the biggest trait, it's, it's always people do what they do for varied reasons. Some people rise to the place, let's say, of being a general manager in one of those hotels. And what drives them is just being the guy the gal being the one in charge that's that's really what it's about for them and so if there's any change to that the whole motivation of why they're doing what they do is now tampered with so that can that can be an element as someone in your position knows very well and you've experienced not everyone can make the turn when there's a transitional season now there are different kinds of transitions they're the ones we initiate right so we decide I'm fat, I need to get thinner, I'm gonna make a transition, I'm gonna change something. Well, those are challenging, they, those have challenges. But I, in my experience, the most challenging transition, there, there's two really, but this is one I'll focus on. The most challenging one is a transition that was someone else's decision, All right? So when someone else makes a decision and that now thrusts me into a transitional season, that's, that's hard. And and the thing that people don't realize, and sometimes even on on the site, if we're the ones who made the decision, um, one of the things we have to realize the first experience people are going to have is pain. It's going to hurt. Right. And so when I'm working with clients in this area, I told them, Hey, you need just to understand this hurts. And if you don't acknowledge that it hurts so that you can process the hurt, what hurts will harm you, but hurt doesn't have to be harm." Uh, and, but what we have to remember on the other side of all of this is we, we don't have any control over their, their decisions. In fact, their decisions help us make our decisions. If we're the ones doing the acquisition. So we're, I know that you walked this right. out. You, you, you're not coming in saying you're not here. You're not here. You're not here. You're not here. So you're coming in saying, let's see who, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay with us? Do you want to right. be, a are you teaching? Right. Can you learn a new method? Can you, because culture change, uh, can be really challenging, as well, and I'm sure some of that goes into your decision-making process uh, of what you uh, acquire. Uh, you, you know, is this something we can convert, or is it just so broken it'd be better to just tear it down, and build it again? Right. Right. Um, which is valid, by the way, and you, as you well know, mm-hmm. um, I find that it really comes down to why people are doing what they're doing and how they, what their life view is about change in general, but even more than that, what do they believe about a challenge? What do they believe? If they believe the challenges are obstacles and attacks and unfair uh, or any of those things, that's gonna come out in these moments. And so if I were working with one of those people that you mentioned, uh, as, as maybe I was their coach, That would be one of the first things I would help them understand. Look, it's supposed to hurt. This wasn't your idea, this happened. Now let's deal with the pain. Let's acknowledge that it hurts, but we don't want it to harm us. So we're going to benefit from it. If I've learned anything, never waste pain. Never let it be for nothing. Always find a way to benefit from the pain, right? So I would help them do that, but ultimately I would have to drill down. What do you believe? About things when they don't go the way you thought they would. What's your core belief? Is it bad? Is it a bad thing to be avoided at all costs? Or are you do you believe that there's opportunity that even in every hardship? So I think that personality trait will make itself pretty clear early on in a transition, like you described, Logan.
2: Yeah, we we've we've found that. Uh, we also come in and uh, everything we touch, we want to go through the OODA loop, right? We want to observe, orient, decide and act and yep. kind of try to reassure people. You can, you can say that you're going to do that, but until you show people that you're not going to change things on day one, that, you know, you have to earn that, that trust a little so bit, but that's always part of the conversation. Um, and I even go so far as to say, we're going to go through the OODA loop. If you guys haven't heard what the OODA loop is, it's what fighter pilots are taught, uh, you know, in the Navy and the person that can observe or decide and act fast enough is the one that that is going to win those dogfights in the air uh, against the other pilots. And so generally the companies that have the fastest OODA loops are the ones that learn and process the fastest and they're going to evolve and survive and thrive. Uh, But we're going to come in and take 90 to 120 days before we make any sort of big decisions or sweeping changes unless there's something that's a life safety issue right. or something extremely pressing um or something that's um very detrimental or toxic to the culture so that that if 10 employees pull you aside on day one and they say hey this one person is really putting a lid in this department, then we would OODA loop that a little faster, maybe. Um, uh, but also make sure that we're looking at the incentives of the people telling that story as, as well. Um, but yeah, I I like that you touched on opportunity. I think the people that see challenges or obstacles as opportunities do really, really well. Um, and the ones that see it as a, a circumstance that's against them, or maybe, um, we wanted to go a little further, a mentality of victimhood to some extent, Yeah, uh, they're yeah. not going to do, they're not going to do well. No, uh, a lot of things drive, struggle.
1: Of, a lot of things drive that sense of victim, uh, it, their life experience in general, it could be their socioeconomic mm-hmm. status. It could be all kinds of things. They could be really, uh, desperately needing this job mm-hmm. and, and, but don't have the ability to say there are other jobs. Right. Right. Of course, we're in a really strange season in our culture right now where the large number of people who are just saying, hey, you know what? I'm out. And that's (laughs) happening for a lot of reasons. It's happening a lot in the service industries and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah, people are being really picky about where they work. But if you if you're in a position where uh, I, I need this job and now, oh, no, there's a change that creates fear and instability, like in a nanosecond in people. Right. And um, that's that when transition wasn't your decision, that pain becomes forefront and present. Now, in my experience, what I had to learn, I figured something out in my mid-20s that most people probably figured out way before then because they're smarter than me. But for me, it was in my mid-20s. And I had I had believed two mistaken notions. I had, I had believed that I was gonna figure all this out, right? I, I just, in my mind, I believed I was gonna figure this out. Uh, and the second one was because I, as I do it more, it's not gonna be hard anymore. What, whatever it was I was referring to. And both of those were mistaken notions, right? So I figure some things out, but I'm never gonna figure it all out. The other is I, it, it should get easier but it, it's never easy, right? It's always going to have some challenge. There's always going to be things. So, But those two notions were really messing with me and they would attack me for not having figured it out and, went, and that would create imposter syndrome and all kinds of things. you know. And then uh, the fact that it was still challenging after having done it for a number of years uh, made me think, maybe I'm no good at this. Uh, maybe I shouldn't even be doing this. But when I addressed those two things, it really helped me. So a lot of people... Are living under those two notions and and you can come up against that uh in a transition situation Mm -hmm. transitions do two two things all transitions do two things they expose stuff and they offer to establish stuff right so in a transitional season whether i started it or someone else's decision put me in it like an acquisition
2: um or circumstances or something like covid COVID. Whatever. Exactly. What, That's you know, a huge... A, affected a everybody. hurricane. A hurricane. Whatever yes. it may be.
1: Any circumstance that, that we don't have any control over, necessarily.
2: Right. right. Uh, it's a loss of control, I think, is the underlying what you're what you're getting at. People struggle with loss of control.
1: They do. And what happens, stuff comes to the top. So whatever character issues, whatever issues in our life, whatever barriers that are in our thinking, whatever mental, spiritual, or emotional blocks that we're, we have, they come to the surface in a transitional season, right? Now, the next thing about a transitional season is understand it has a twofold purpose. The first, it wants to reveal stuff that's going to hinder me going forward. The second thing it's going to do is say, here's some things that you need to add to your character your life your skill set yourself it's an opportunity for me to learn a lesson now we all know that a lesson offered is not the same thing as a lesson learned uh because we that's why we repeat seasons in life you know <laughs> as a person of faith i realize, of course that um i don't like repeating classes i i, I don't uh, i want to take it get the lesson move on to the next thing But I realized as a person of faith, that there's a commitment that that the Lord has made to me, that if I don't pass, or if I don't learn the lesson, I get re-enrolled for this class. This comes up again. And so I'll often tell my clients, if you're dealing with the same issues in concurrent seasons, let's just face it, you brought it with you. And it's time to stop this cycle. Now, mistakes are mistakes. We all make mistakes. Uh, When we continue to make the same mistakes, it's a choice. Continually. It's a pattern. That's a cycle that needs to be broken. And that's usually rooted in something we believe that isn't true. Some, some, Something in there, some mental or spiritual or emotional block, and it needs to be uh, addressed. And so helping people get to that, um, sometimes uh, it's one of the benefits because in your company, I, I know you take a lot of time, but you want to try to help people through, but unless you have people on your staff who know how to move from the OODA loop to how can, can we get this person through this or, or is it not going to happen? Yeah, I know you gotta make that decision at a pretty limited time, but this is why um, is really why I started my company. It, it's people need help with this uh, and it's, it's a service that can be very beneficial. It doesn't have to be lengthy, but it's amazing how people can manage a change when they understand the sky is not falling you're going to wake up tomorrow and you have a superpower choice. We all have it. I can't choose everything. I don't have a choice in everything that happens to me, but I get to choose how I respond to everything. And that's a superpower we were given by God. So sometimes just helping people understand hey, your choices, you've got choices here, and we're going to respect those choices. If you decide this is too hard, I can't do it. I don't want to. Okay, great. We respect that. Um, But if they say, well, I really need this job. I'd really like to try and do this. Then it's up to you on your side, Logan, to say, do we have the resources, the time and the sort to do that? Or do we need to see if we can help them find that help somewhere else? Uh, If there's someone that you identify as we need them in this
2: organization. Right. Uh, Several, several different rabbits that i want to chase uh but one you, you use the term uh learning vicariously earlier yeah um, i've always said that I, I learn really well through experience but i prefer it to, to be somebody else's experience so i <laughs> love that term I'm, I'm putting it in my personal dictionary nobody's ever put it that well so thank you for that uh for that yeah. nugget you're welcome. Um, You're welcome. At, at Corey Lee, just to kind of recap one thing that you that you said uh, at, at the beginning of answering that question, Corey always says that experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher, and oh. uh, you know we're not going to take those lessons with us if we don't stop to evaluate the experience we just had because we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna take what we need with us. Um, so I kind of asked from the you know what traits do you see in people that successfully navigate change? But now I want to flip it. Um, what can we as companies or, for instance, Corey and I have been on a, have been on a board at church together uh, to, to help drive engagement and connection with, within our church body and then increase the impact we're having in our community, uh, which has required changing the way that we do some things in terms of how we are engaged with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, how can we set ourselves up for success as companies or as ministries, um, to make sure that the people we're reaching out to that if we are making as a company or as a ministry, the decision to affect change on someone Mm -hmm. that's now, now they're in a position where they're being dictated that change has to happen. Right. How can we set them up to be successful in that? What are maybe one or two things that you see the low-hanging fruit, you need to do it like this if you want the change to take?
1: Yep, absolutely. And th- I think it begins with you want buy-in, not compliance. And <laughs> compliance can be achieved through threat or pressure. But it's hard to maintain that. Over time, so companies do things like this all the time. Churches do this too. Uh, sometimes they'll have a leader who the vision changes every week, you know, uh, and then that creates a climate where people decide, "Hey, if we just hunker down, that'll blow over, and it'll be something else next time." So you have to first evaluate your culture. What? How have we historically made change? Uh, are we credible? Right. So if I'm sponsoring this change and I'm communicating, then the first thing I need to do is help people understand why we're making the change. Fundamental human truth, until something matters to us personally, we, we don't change, we, we don't. Uh, so if we're instituting an organizational change, whether that be in the church or a company, we wanna be sure we can answer that fundamental question. Why are we making this change and why should this matter to you?
2: And, and, and that, that should apply never... in all facets of life.
1: Correct. Correct. Any change, any change that we're making, we, you know, if you've ever had a conversation with a toddler who gets on that endless, infinite loop of why, 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 uh, when in the series of questions, I have that with grandkids now. My, my, my children don't do that so much anymore, thankfully, since they're in their upper 30s. So it, it, that would be weird. So we tend to think that's some kind of an act of defiance. I believe that that question, fundamental question of why is a deep seated human need to understand purpose. So my job, if I'm leading and we're making a change is to be sure we understand why we're making this change and why we're making it now. And anything that we can use to help support that, for example, we might say, well, we've done some research and what we realize if we don't make this change now in two years, we will not be competitive in our space, right? So so that might be one of the things that we say, that's why we're doing it. Uh, There could be other reasons, but now I need to communicate that why throughout my organization and what matters to people in my finance department is different than the people in my maintenance department, right? Still the same reason why, I just need to become better at explaining to the people in maintenance why it should matter to them. And it might be a different reason then why it should matter to the people in my finance department. So, but that why, that's a big thing. And obviously whoever's explaining that or communicating it needs to be credible. Uh, it needs to be someone that people believe and they listen to. And um, you know, if the culture is already to the toxic place where we don't trust or believe anything, that's a different, that's a whole different deal. whole different animal right, <laughs> right. there. Right? right. So you definitely want to know why. And the other thing is you kind of drill down into that a little bit who is most impacted by this change in this organization? So if in your church, does this primarily impact our worship team or does it, does it primarily impact our, uh, uh, our first impressions team? You know, who, who is being most affected because, uh, or does this affect everyone across the deal? But knowing who it impacts helps you craft the communication process, right? So it helps me know this person, they're going to feel this a little over here, but man, this department's going to get smacked with this change. <laughs> this is the biggest responsibilities on them. So I've got to focus there, right? So I want to be sure that I'm helping them and understand why this is important, why it matters and why it will even benefit, why this is going to make your life better. Why this is going to make things, uh, maybe make things easier for you, maybe make things uh, smoother for you or whatever, but you're communicating to that group. Uh, And then I've just add one other uh, element into that is, uh, have you, have you decided if you have the resources to do it and by resources that can be money, but it's also time. It's also uh, coaching, training, all of these things factor into that idea of resource.
2: So enough people or infrastructure,
1: can we do it? Yeah. So when the pastor says we're going to add a third service, And everybody in the room gasps because we barely have enough volunteers to take care of the two services we're already doing, right? So yeah, those have to be evaluated. Do we have these resources? So I think those can set people up for success in in a change process organizationally. It is extremely important to know why. You need to know why, but you also need to be able to communicate why, because that leads to buy-in. Uh, if you're taking the time to inform people, this is why this matters, and this is why it should matter to you that we're making this change. Then your opportunity of buy-in goes way up. Now, I will tell you this: buy-in will bring you people's A-game. Compliance will always bring their C-game. Mm-hmm. They're just gonna do what they're gonna do the minimum. They're ne- they're not gonna right. help you. And the moment there's a release. Of the threat or pressure that got their compliance, they'll go right back to what the another C word, what's comfortable. They'll go back to what's comfortable. So we definitely should always be aiming for buy-in. And the only way to get buy-in is through people trusting us, that we have the company and them, the organization and them, their best interests at heart, which is relational equity that we've built Mm -hmm. over time. And so that if we have to make a withdrawal out of that relational equity account, we don't overdraw it. That's right. Um, so, but that takes intentionality and investment into people that that they know uh, not only that we want to lead them well, but we care about them. And so, when we take the time to communicate and craft communications about why we're doing this and why this should matter to you, and we get that buy-in, well, then that 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 dip, that lag, that always happens when you make a process change, right? Are you introducing some new thing into the stream? There's always a little. There's a dip. There's a lag. But with buy-in, you start to build it. You don't just have a sponsor of the change. You're starting to now build a coalition of sponsoring the change because people are buying into it. And that greatly reduces that gap, that that lag, so to speak, while people are trying to get caught up, understand, whatever. But the more bought-in they are, the faster that happens and the smaller that gap becomes.
2: Yep. Love it. A couple of things to tag on to that. Um, I've always... I've heard before and adopted that we want responsibility over accountability. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want people on my team that take responsibility for things because they have buy-in and believe in the vision, not people that I have to hold accountable. Right. Um, And, and that's that buy-in versus compliance. Uh, The the other thing is uh, the underlying prerequisite for all of this. And this is Corey's favorite topic is having clarity of vision because you cannot explain the why you can explain a surface level why but then when you get pressed and you get the second and third okay why why do we need to be more profitable why do we need to do this why do we need to do that if you don't have a crystal clear well articulated vision you can't explain it different you cannot craft that pitch to each different department the right way, because that's there's great. no alignment of vision, and that's I think that's where a lot of people get sideways with, with finding buy-in, is because, like you mentioned earlier, maybe the vision changes mm-hmm. with with the wind a little bit. Uh, but you have to have that vision to be your north star, so that you can you can pitch the why with conviction, and then have a culture that's magnetic that attracts the right people that share that vision, but repels the people that maybe phenomenal at whatever it is that they do, but they may not believe in the vision and it may not be the right fit for them. Yeah. Uh,
1: Sometimes people with great talent are cause the most trouble Uh, it's, and can upset all kinds of things. And and then you have an organization that lurches forward. Like, so it's just like a little bit of progress because that great talent. Oh, but then here comes the setback because of this instead, maybe someone's not quite as talented, But they're fully bought in. They get it. They see it. They understand why it matters, and they want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. That process forward may be a little slower, but it's steady and it's healthy, and you're going to keep moving forward without all this.
2: Sustainable. That's right. Totally.
1: Scalable and sustainable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sorry for the uh, abruptness, but I've got an FCA meeting in five minutes, so um, I've got to I've got to hop out of here. But I wanted to selfishly pick your brain on that stuff because it impacts me every day. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And thanks. So, it's great to meet you, Logan. I hope you Yeah, you, you as well. Day. You as well.
1: Have a great uh,
2: day I'm going to turn it over to you guys, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it and uh really wish I wasn't double booked right now. <laughs> I understand. So, uh you guys take care and hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Sounds good. All right.
0: So, Bill, you said something that actually I love Logan's question that he asked you right there about you know, you talked about people changing and how they don't really like to be forced. People don't like being forced to be changed. No. Uh, but I love this question. I loved even more your response to that and, and getting people to buy in. Love what you said. You get to buy in, you get the A game. Yeah. You get compliance, you're going to get the C game. And that's where, that's where you see people who do just enough to get by, just enough not to get fired, but getting that buy-in, that A game, that's where people start to exceed expectation, go above and beyond. So I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, I kind of like to shift gears a little bit. I, I want to yeah. jump into yeah. the wilderness stuff here in just a second. But yeah, I, I want to ask you something. I see the picture that you got behind you. And it's got the name of your, oh uh, on your wall, uh, Stonebridge, Bridge.
1: Strong Bridge, yeah.
0: That's the name of your company. But Mm -hmm. also see your picture. curious, is there a story behind the title?
1: There is. uh, One of the taglines early on was, let us be your strong bridge from where you are to where you want to be. And so the image, obviously, is that of a bridge. Is there something? You know, bridges have a lot of metaphoric, uh, vision for me, I'm a visual person, so uh, images speak to me, and this in, right behind me here, I think I'm pointing to it, Yeah uh, is a visual expression of someone, there's actually, I don't know if you can see it from that distance, there's actually a person on a bike on this bridge, right about in the middle, mm-hmm. and they've obviously, you know, bridges span from one location to another location, they get us through, and they get us over, and Uh, I tell people all the time, transitions are supposed to be bridges. They're not destinations, Uh, which is another lesson from the wilderness because it became a destination for a whole generation uh, simply because it would not embrace the purpose that that transitional season was supposed to serve. Uh, And that happens with people a lot. Companies get stuck. Individuals get stuck. Um, So... The goal is to, to get across, right? We wanna, we <laughs> so that's kind of the visual imagery here uh, that behind me, it's, a, it's a, a bridge. And I think I chose this one just because uh, you don't see the, the pillars. It's like kind of like a suspension bridge, I think, but uh, it captured in my mind, at least uh, what I, the reason our company exists and that is to help people Make that transition, or benefit, or get to where they want to be. They recognize: here's my present state, here's the future state that I desire. How do I get there? Yeah. Uh, and so we can benefit them in that. So it's kind of a, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, I, I forget like it. I forget it's back there, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're staring at it, so.
0: Yeah, I like it, man. I, I really do. And when you said the wilderness, I, I, I love that because. I was, uh, I'm in a challenge right now. I mean, a couple of guys were doing reading the Bible in 31 days. So full Bible, 31 days, and been reading through Exodus. And then I happened to read at the same time, I think it was um, maybe Mark 4, maybe something like that. Anyway, Jesus, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Yep. And then in the Exodus, Moses leads them out. But there's a statement in there that God says he took, he takes them the long way. Right. He takes them into the wilderness because if they see battle, they're not ready. Right? right They're not mentally prepared and they're not ready, and they would flee. So I, I would just, you know, we, we discussed this the other day, but I would love to hear your thought on um, a lot of people don't want to go into the wilderness, but it, it, but, yeah. but it's a necessary step. just like that bridge is necessary, I would love to hear your thoughts on the necessity of the wilderness in, in well, the Bible.
1: Obviously, obviously, throughout the Bible, every person that God used in any way spent time in a wilderness.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a great study. Just go out and look at it. Um, the people that come to our minds, like, oh wow, these were they had some span of time in a wilderness. The word transition doesn't occur in the biblical text, but its metaphor does. And the metaphor for transition in the Bible is the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And now keeping in mind, there was a God-ordained planned length of time for that wilderness to happen. And there were certain things he knew they needed before they could go into the land of promise. So they needed to learn how to, uh, to warfare. They needed to learn warfare. They needed to learn government. How, how do we govern ourselves? They needed to learn how to worship. Uh, how, was, how are we going to maintain our relationship with God? through this experience. And those were all the purposes that were being offered. Those were the lessons. Those were the uh, things offered to be established that they needed to succeed going forward. Um, What we also see in that, it exposed all the other stuff that was in the way. They had slave thinking. They had a mentality that developed over 400 years of being in slavery. So they thought that way it had shaped the way their brains work. So that was something that got exposed. In fact, through the journey, it's interesting. You hear them going back to this little mantra. Let's go back. Let's yeah, go yeah. Back to At least, I mean, we hated it, but at least we knew what every day would bring. We're out here. We're having to watch this, this cloud and we're having to watch this fire. And when it moves, we've got to move. And, and there didn't, this does not feel stable. Right. So <laughs> all back them, to
0: that control thing you talked about, yeah.
1: it, it, it does. And so it, it when you look at the wilderness story and as a, as a whole, there was a, it probably, and some theologians scholars may move one way or the other on this, but probably about 18 months was all they were supposed to be there Mm. to get them ready so that they could succeed. Uh, it was the loving, that wilderness experience was God's love for them Yeah, because if he let them come right out of Egypt and go right in the land of promise, they would have been wiped off the face of the earth in a very short time, so it would have been very unloving for God to put them from slavery and then into the Promised Land. There had to be a transitional moment. Uh, now their choices took the duration of that transitional moment from eighteen months to forty years.
2: Yeah,
1: right. And some people never got out, and they a whole generation lived their entire life in a transitional season and never got to the destination. So. It's interesting study, but it's a great exercise in vicarious learning because we have all of those same reactions. We have all of those same uh, pushbacks uh, in our own lives. Uh, But if we can remember, and this is kind of where, this has kind of been foundational for me. Every transition, the ones I choose, the ones that are chosen for me, will do these two things. When I know the purpose of something, and I can understand the purpose, it gets me through even hard things, as long as I know there's a purpose. If I don't understand the purpose or I don't think there is a purpose, now I'm just mad, right? (laughs) So I just don't like it, I'm mad, this is ridiculous, I'm gonna kick back all of that. But when I understand there is a purpose, so I tell people, there's always these two things that are the purpose of any transition or challenging season you're going through. And if you can't find any other purpose, you can land on these. It's going to expose things that are hindering you, and it's going to offer to establish things that will help you. So you need to be asking what's coming to the surface, what attitudes are coming up, what thought processes are coming up. And then it's not enough to just say what, identify them. Now I have to address them. Yeah. Is that true? Is that, is that really true? Or is that just something I believed? And so it's a chance to deal with the things that are hindering me. it might be bitterness from my past, unforgiveness. It could be all kinds of things, but those things surface when we're in transitional season. So the other is, what are the lessons being offered to me? Mm -hmm. That's the second question you should ask. What what can I learn from this? How can I I benefit? Now, it's painful, so I don't want to waste this pain. I did a YouTube video last summer. Uh, I broke my ankle back in May. Weird. I wish I had a great story. I don't. I was walking across a flat floor I've turned my right ankle dozens and dozens of times over my life. And it finally just said enough. Right. So I'm walking across the flat floor, roll my ankle and snap it. So uh, surgery, all that. So I did a video on uh, three things I learned from a broken ankle. So you don't have to. (laughs) But I did. I learned from it and that's become ingrained in me. I no longer, I've also learned that where complaining starts, progress stops. Mm-hmm. So I try to limit my com- complaining sessions because I know that that's just, if the, the whole time I'm complaining, I'm not moving. Yeah. I'm not moving forward. It's the brake pedal on everything. Claim, uh, complaining and blaming. And that's the things that you see in the wilderness. They complained they, and they blamed. Uh, and that is why they never got out. Yeah. The one who could look past it, Joshua and Caleb, they're, they're the case studies for how to thrive. Wasn't their choice. They said, we can do it. The other 10 spies said, no, we can't. But they had to go through that 40 year period like everybody else. But what was the difference? The difference was how they how they viewed the transition and they actually benefited from it. They became better leaders and better prepared for when that opportunity to step into the promised land came. You've got Joshua who lingered at the tent when Moses was in there. He learned how to be in the presence of God and hear God's direction. And he lingered there and he grew. And Caleb is amazing because he's 80 something years old by the time they get there. And he goes, I'm as fit for war today as I was then. And I remember, I I remember everything that was said and I want it all. Give me my mountain. And by the way, the mountain that belonged to Caleb, was where the giants were.
0: That's right. Yeah. He said, you want to eat them for breakfast. Let's go. And was a dude.
1: He was yeah. a dude. Yeah. So, but he benefited. That's he right. had to go do the same stuff everybody else did. A whole generation died off. Those 10 spies who did, couldn't see it. They all died off in the, in the wilderness. But the two who said, no, this can happen. We could do this. And they chose to benefit, embrace the process. They made the progress and they got to move in.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I, I wrote down what you said. I love that. I, um, uh, the transition to expose things and also offers to establish some things. That's really good. And, you know, when, when we were talking about it earlier this week about the wilderness, it was interesting. Again, Jesus went through the wilderness. Yep. And before he went into the wilderness, he was baptized by John. It says yep. dove comes and then skies opened up and God says, this is my beloved son. Right. And the first thing Satan does, he's there for 40 days, 40 nights. And first thing Satan does is says, if you are, so he tries to attack the identity. Absolutely. But, but but then he really kind of says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. So it's almost like...
1: Validate you yourself. Prove it, yeah. right? Validate your identity.
0: Exactly. And then the <laughs> next one, he says, um, you know, he put, takes him up on the temple and says, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And w- w- what I thought was interesting about that, going along with our conversation with transition, many of us, I know myself... I try to skip steps, right? I try to skip ahead. Jesus could have easily turned the stones to bread. He could have easily mm-hmm. went ahead and taken the kingdoms. Eventually, Satan was going to hand them over to him anyway, but he could have skipped the steps. And, and many of us want to skip through the transition. You got you got any thoughts on that uh, before oh, yeah. we wrap up? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Lots
1: of thoughts on okay. that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what I've learned over the years is that shortcuts are usually round trips. Yeah, mm. And the issue of skipping steps in a process undermines the uh, quality of the progress. So here's, you might make a little, but not near what you could have made. Uh, What I, I like to help people think this way, if you need to realize you are in your present state because of a series of choices that you have made over a process of time. In order for you to experience any kind of successful and sustainable change in your life, it's the same. You're going to have to make series of choices over a process of time. I didn't wake up one morning and go, huh, I am extremely overweight. How did that happen? Well, it happened through a series of choices that I made over a process of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, my wife and I began a health journey a year and a half for me, two years ago for her. She lost nearly 90 pounds. I lost right at 70 pounds. We feel great. We feel better. And we, you know, the point is we had to come to a place we understood this is not going to be 12 week process. That's right. Right. So change is the result of commitment to a process over time. Mm. And if we can't do that, if we don't do that, if we keep interrupting that, and one of the <laughs> One of the things, I I talk about four keys to successful and sustainable change. The first is awareness, Uh, but there is levels of awareness, right? So I can have the simple recognition of a need. That's one level of awareness. But then I might begin to understand why it matters. That's another level of awareness. But until that level of awareness reaches, I want this to happen, I probably am not going to change But the second thing that I talk about that I don't hear a lot of people talk about is I have to accept the responsibility for this change. Yeah. Yeah. I have to own this. So if I said, I'm going to do this exercise routine, but I'm only going to do it if my wife does it with me, I've already set myself up for failure. I've already put in a trap door that I'm going to fall through because the moment her schedule and mine don't mesh, I have an out. Right. It's an excuse. Uh, And so I can, I can bail. I have to own it. I can now approach it from, I'm going to do this exercise routine. And if my wife could join me, that's a bonus. Mm -hmm. But I'm doing it. This is on me. Uh, So owning that. And then then the third thing is ability. Do I have the ability to make this change? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, I may not. I may want it. I may understand it. And I might fully have the owning of the responsibility of it. But it doesn't mean I have the ability. So if I said to you, Corey, I want to make a change and be a marathon runner. Once you finish laughing, because you're, you're looking at me, obviously, on screen, right? No, so, I'm, I'm uh, like, which it, one we're
0: going to go do, right? Going to be a marathon
1: runner. You would probably, if you were my friend and you cared about me, say, well, there's a series of other changes that are going to have to happen first. You can't just go from being who you are and where you are to being a marathon runner. There's a process you got to go through other changes have to happen. So maybe the change, maybe the ability is I've got to do some research. I need information. Uh, My wife was great at this. She dug in and got information on how we could eat because we've reached the age we could no longer out exercise a bad diet. (laughs) Somebody needs to hear that right now. Mm -hmm. Can I get an amen? You just reach an age where you can't out exercise a bad diet. So she did a lot of research so that we would have the ability to make the changes we want to make. So I won't go too far down there, but that's key. I mean, sometimes it's spiritual, mental, and emotional blocks, lies that are in our head, uh, bad tapes playing in our head, bad soundtracks, as John Acuff refers to. Uh, it, it's sometimes they're just broken messages in our brain. And if we, we have to address those in order to have the ability to make the change that we want. The final one is just action. And that sounds like a duh, but here's what I mean by action actionable steps that can be measured and celebrated is the key. You've got to have an actionable plan, actual process that you can engage in that helps you achieve. So those are the four things I talk about with people about getting, making a successful, not just successful, but sustainable change. You got to have all four of those. You got to have awareness, got to have acceptance of responsibility, make sure people have the ability and then make sure that they have an actionable plan, a process that they can actually do it. One of the meanest things that leaders do, the meanest things that leaders do, is they tell people to change and don't show them how. Yeah. It happens every week in churches all around the world. We tell the people, you need to be this, but we don't tell them how. We, you know, to if leaders should be inviting the people they lead to be better. And show them a clear path of how they can become better. That's the responsibility of leadership. It's not enough to say, hey guys, be better. I want you to be better. It's I, I'm the leader. I do. I'm inviting you to become better. But here's the path that you can follow that will, will get you to that place where you're better. Here's how we get better. That's the responsibility of a leader. You know. Wow,
0: that's powerful.
1: We throw things out about potential all the time. I'll I'll just throw this out there. Um, I hated the word potential. And here I am a coach. And coaches use this language all the time, right? Potential. But I realized, I had to come to grips with it. I realized the reason I struggled with the word potential is that I viewed it as a measurement. I viewed potential as a measurement. I was either living up to it or I wasn't. Or, Or worse than that, it was a threshold. It determined how far I could go. And I would hit it, oh, well, I've reached my full potential. I can't go any further, which is not true. And we know through neuroscience and everything else that as we learn and we grow, we literally can expand our ability to do certain things and improve and do things we never thought we could do. Uh, so I changed it around. So I'm no longer view potential as a measurement. I'm going to view potential as an invitation to be better. Mm. So when I see it as an invitation to be better, now it, now it does what we hoped the word would do all along. It encourages me.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it, it invites me into something rather than scolds me for something I'm not yet. Uh, and that, that word is a powerful word. We've yes. all had teachers or coaches, athletic coaches tell us either we you know you've got great potential and then and then shake their head with disgust when they don't believe we're measuring up to what potential they see. Uh, now, the good news for us as people of faith, Jesus' description of him being the vine and we're the branches. My potential is no longer determined by what I see yeah. in me. It's determined by what he sees
0: right. in
1: me. Uh, and so in that sense, potential now is no longer a dirty word to me. It's a, it's a good word. I can, I can use it again <laughs> <laughs> and not cringe if I understand it's, it's an invitation. And I do think leaders have that responsibility. That's invite our people. people. Let's let, let, it has, by the way. Uh, let, let's invite our people to be better, but let's give them a clear path to follow.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is good stuff. And uh, Bill, you have, I think, this whole whatever 50 60 minutes whatever this is has been full of wisdom and you've added a ton ton of value and truly appreciate it so bill let me last question if anybody wanted to contact you about your coaching your training or find out more about you what's the best way for them to to follow up with you
1: they can reach out uh, by going out to our website the strongbridgegroup.com and that'll take you there there's a section uh, of inf- with some information, there's some context stuff. And uh, there's a, a section I have out there uh, called Thoughts on Things. Uh, and it's kind of where I post these short three to five minute uh, YouTube videos that I make on certain subjects, either related to transition or so. So there's a section there under Thoughts on Things. People if they wanna just hear some of these thoughts that we've talked about today. Uh, I'm on social media. I have a Bill Lecky public figure page on Facebook. Um, The Strongbridge Group's presence on social media is emerging. Um, So it's still a work, kind of a work in progress, I guess I would say. But it's there. The Strongbridge Group is on Instagram. And I'm on Instagram uh, as myself. There's another guy on there with my name, and he's from the UK, and he's a sports writer uh, over there in Scotland. So uh, that's not me, although I am Scottish. The uh, so yeah they can reach out through social media. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So any of those social media platforms and through the website are great ways to. And I do have a YouTube channel um, that I use as well, so people can look at it there.
0: Awesome. We will. uh, I'll put the that in the show notes to StonebridgeGroup.com and uh, follow Bill on social media and uh, check out those thoughts. And truly, truly. If anybody wants
1: this, the Facebook version of The Thriving in Transition, it's on Amazon.
0: Amazon, yes, I was going to ask, I meant to ask you that earlier.
1: Yeah, can they can do that, and it's the Faith-based version. I'm having to stir myself up to write again. I kind of, I think I uh, overachieved there for a little season, so, (laughs) but I do want to write this again, and the very things you and I talked about today will be the heart of the content of what I'm going to be writing about in the next season, so hopefully there'll be a book coming out. Sometime in the next year or so, that uh, could be put in people's hands as a resource.
0: Yeah. So, Thriving in Transition by Bill Lecky. Find it on Amazon. That is good yes. stuff. Yeah. Well, Bill, appreciate uh, appreciate you today. Appreciate you adding value. And any of you guys listening, if you've got any comments or feedback that you would like to share, make sure to comment below. We'll pass that along to Bill, how much value you've added to him. Make sure you like and subscribe and feel free to share this with, with friends and family because I know, I know there are a lot of people that can learn a lot, that can gain a lot and apply a lot from Bill's teaching today. So Bill, I want to say thank you once again and Uh, Appreciate you guys. You guys have a great day and God bless.
2: Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. As you go about your day, remember to ask yourself as a parent, child, sibling, business owner, customer, boss, teammate, would you recommend yourself, audit yourself and change your life?